I'm Pamela Portnoy, and no one's okay. It's just coursing through my veins with excitement right now. (laughs) Welcome back to No One's Okay. I am back. I am here today with a producer of 911 and 911 Lone Star. He is also a director and the co-host of Heard the Nerds podcast. Please tell me I got that all correct. Nailed it. Keith Tripler is in the house. What's up? What's up? Hi, Keith. How Hi, are Pam. you? I'm doing so well. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming in today. I'm happy to meet you and see you in yes, the flesh. In the flesh, not just over email, real life stuff. Can we just be done with all that pandemic stuff and now be ready to just be talking to people in person? I mean, it's just that's that would be really, really good. <sighs> I'm someday over soon. It. I'm who is it? No one's okay with that. Let's put it that way. No one's okay with that still being a thing. Nailed it. Can I go home now? Did I do it? Did I do it right? You can't go home, but you did do it right. <laughs> I don't want to go home. I'm happy here. <laughs> Yay! Tell us a little bit about tell our audience. A little bit about your journey. Share as much or as little as you would like. Where did this passion for your work begin? Tell us all about it. Um, Ooh, with the podcast was, let me tell you. Let me tell you a tale a long, long time ago. (laughs) Um, So I started getting into the TV and film business on accident. I actually, in high school, I was really into photography and uh, music. I almost went to school for music. I loved stage crew. My friends were all actors and musical theater nerds, and I never quite went that far off the deep end. Uh, Much respect to all musical theater people out there, but I was like, what can I do that's a combination of these three things that I love? And I didn't really realize growing up, I grew up in upstate New York, so small town, Rochester, New York, and not many people there do movies, television, that sort of thing. It's a town known for photography and garbage plates and a really good uh, university. And so to me, it was just not even in the realm of possibility. And then once I started at uh, university, I was kind of like, wait a minute. Oh, this is a thing. Oh, people make money doing this? Oh, wait, I can do this? And it combined all my, just my favorite things that I love about photography and musical theater and music. So um, that was my start. And then I was in, I was at Syracuse University, so they have an amazing program there that I help out with now where they send kids to Los Angeles for a semester. And there you learn from people who are actually in the business and you get to intern and it's just like a really hands-on experience. And that was kind of when I got bit by the bug. I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be doing this. And I learned more in that half or half a year semester than I did in three and a half years at Syracuse. And it was just like, I got to be here. I got to come back. I got to come back to LA. What in particular was it about it? You know, I was always a sucker for behind-the-scenes footage. I mean, I was the kid that would buy the VHS tapes that were an extra, like, 40 minutes after. You, you remember those? Like, when they yes. when they would have, like, I had, I remember watching The Phantom Menace, and at the end of, like, the deluxe edition, there was, like, 30 minutes of behind-the-scenes. Wouldn't they have an extra VHS yes, tape for those? Yes, sometimes it would be a double one, and yeah. if you got really lucky. Um, and I watched every single behind the scenes I could possibly get my hands on. I mean, I, I don't know what I would have done if YouTube was a thing. I'm dating myself, but like the, <laughs> the idea that you could just go online now and find all this behind the scenes, like yes. I, that's all I would do. I, I still do that. I still follow every like film enthusiast or like grip rigs, like all the behind the scenes Instagram accounts I can find because I just find the how things get made to be so interesting. Yes. Um, and 
so yeah, I mean, it never gets old to me being on set and seeing like, well, how are we going to create a snowstorm in the middle of the desert when it's 98 degrees outside in September? <laughs> and we figure it out. Like, that's the coolest part about my job is really seeing how these amazing people come together to make the impossible look real on, on screen. So very cheesy line there, but that's just how I feel about it. I mean... Uh, I don't know if I would qualify that as cheesy. I would just say passionate. <laughs> passionate, okay. Which yes. is like my favorite yes. thing is to hear what people are passionate about. Yes. I I think for me, there's a lot of not so great things that are n- not okay about the film industry right now. Ooh, and we're going to get into yeah. those um, things. I hope everyone voted. Uh, and I think for me, if I ever lose that sense of like, oh my God, this is so cool when I walk onto a set. Just even if it's a little bit, even if it's like five seconds of like, oh, that's how they do that. Like I, I, that will be my cue to be like, I gotta go. I gotta go do something else. I gotta leave. It's it's that thing where you remember how you felt when you were a kid and you look back and you go, wow, if they could see me now or if I was, not, if I was me 10 years ago and was in this spot, I would be just losing my mind. So trying to be grateful and trying to be passionate about wherever you are, regardless of, what the situation is, I think it's it's a hard thing we all work on. But the film industry specifically, like if you lose your joy in what you're doing mm-hmm. and your love for it, get out. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Because at all. I feel like a lot of people are sort of in this business for the wrong. Re- I feel like that qualifies for any sort of um, yeah. career endeavor. Yeah. But I feel specifically for this one, if you're not in it because you love it and you're in it for some sort of like mm. ulterior motive, yeah. I, I don't know if it will pay off. It could, but I I don't think the chances are high for it paying off for those reasons other yeah. than your love for it. Yeah. And and I think it's it's complicated. You don't just like love you can't when people say, Oh my god, I love the movies, I love the film industry, I love everything about it, you're like, Do you though? But like do you, you almost, know you almost don't trust it because it's like that's so starry eyed and just like Hollywood. Mm-hmm. It's like I know I can I can name the specific thing that I love to watch and I, when I get really excited. And for me, that's directing. Mm-hmm. It's like when I'm in this flow state of using all of my brain and getting to be creative and collaborative with all these amazing people, like that is, it's just a, it's like a high I can't explain. And, but when people are like kind of wishy-washy about that, it just means either one of two things. Either they don't really do what they say they do or they just haven't found out yet. They're still learning. They're still figuring right. it out, which is a a long process for, I think, anybody in this industry, figuring out what it is that you're really supposed to be doing or that you can be happy with, right? Because there's people that, there's tons of people who I know who started out in the industry, they really want to be writers. Right. They always want to be a director. They always want to be a producer. But those flashy roles, that's not 95% of the industry. 90% of the industry are sound mixers, are boom operators, are PAs, are second seconds, are you know, key grips, rigging grips, construction foreman. There are so many people that it takes to make just a simple television show, simple, quote unquote. Um, And these people started out maybe thinking they wanted one thing and then found that they could have a life and still get to be part of the magic. Mm -hmm. And so they chose to become a dolly grip or, and that's what they do. And they're really good at it. And I have such respect for those people and their stories and the people they've gotten to interact with. It's like, it's, it's really incredible. I was actually talking with, one of our actors on 911 Lone Star, Rafael Silva, shout out, um, about this the other day about how 
on, on our show specifically, it's just so many amazing professionals who have come from all over the world and so many shows and the amount of sets that they've been on and actors they've worked with. And him and I were just sitting there being like, these people are really, really good. Like these, this is like the cream of the crop crew. Like, and we just felt, we're just, we're appreciating how lucky we were to be a part of that show. And, but yeah. I'm trailing off now, but yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Who are some of your um, role models when it comes to directing? Directing role models. Um, well, I you know, when I, I always give this piece of advice to younger kids when I'm doing mentorship for my college and stuff. It, it's a really good idea to have somebody in mind when you're coming up in the industry, like, I want to be like this person. Mm-hmm. Like, and then people can be like, oh, okay, so... You really, you're really like Christopher Nolan. So, okay, so you want to be into features, you want to be into thrillers, you want to be into big budget movies, as opposed to somebody who's smaller indie films. It all depends, but it's a way to kind of mark you with kind of where you're headed. For me, I was always really enamored by J.J. Abrams. Mm-hmm. Um, do I think he's the cream of the crop when it comes to directors yes actually i think yeah the 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 sheer willpower it takes to make those giant movies that he makes is a whole other feat in of itself but for me the thing that i always loved about jj and still do is his philosophy behind his writing and his creative process if you ever get a chance to watch his ted talk it's fascinating i actually haven't seen his ted talk surprisingly he talks about the mystery box have you heard about this no oh it's so cool so he has this mystery box in his office i hope he still does but he got it when he was younger i think and he has never opened it and it's this idea that it's like how did he acquire said box i think it was like a gift or i don't remember the exact story he tells it in the ted talk but okay it's this idea that the there could be gold in there. There could be anything in there. It's that psych. It's that fill. Was it psych? It's that psychology. What is the word I'm trying it's, to say? It's um, Schrodinger's cat. Yes, it's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah, nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> Points on the board for. Thank Pam. you. Um, yeah, it's that idea that the wonder comes from not knowing, and the and the. The idea that there could be something, there could be anything behind that box, be a, and, and a, the breadcrumbs. A live cat, a and, dead cat. You know, I think there's a great version of that which is lost, and there's a not so great version of that which is also lost. So <laughs> the TV show. I mean, um, but anyway, that's the sci-fi of it all. And then he's got this amazing charity, and he's got this um, incredible production office. If you ever get a chance to be inside Bad Robot Productions, it is an amusement park in of itself, covered in like figurines. Like when you were in the waiting room. You have paper and Legos and drawings and there's posted like things of all these different famous people that have been in the waiting room that they've made these creative things. There's a post-production, there's putting greens, there's ping pong. T- I mean, it's just That's amazing. professional show. It's just like you walk in and you go, where am I right now? So you directed a short film called She Said Yes. Yes. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, yes, I uh, I guess I can. Um, so She Said Yes is this short film written by this amazing writer by the name of John Bellina. Um, who is a really good friend of mine, writer on iZombie, uh, CW series, and a bunch of other really great stuff. He just had a movie come out on Netflix and one on Hallmark coming out for the holidays. And um, he wrote this great short that was, I just, I fell in love with it. I thought it was super fun. And uh, I got some friends of mine, namely Oliver Stark and Deborah Christofferson, who are uh, amazing actors on 911. Hell yeah. And they agreed to do this shoot with me. And I have a really great, 
crew of friends and colleagues, both from my university and from my various shows that pitched in to help out with this uh, little short, did the festival run, and it's going to be coming out just on YouTube for fun. Because I, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where once you do a short film and you kind of runs the circuit, it's like, okay, here you go. Here Ever, you go. Everyone gets to watch it. <laughs> so that'll be coming out um, right before Thanksgiving, actually. Is the That's plan. exciting. So, That's very soon. Yeah, very soon. So the t- time's out well. But yeah, it's, it's a fun little comedy about and somebody who <laughs> has a different idea about what it means to get engaged than maybe the average person. Ooh, that's, intriguing. That's, that's the, I'll give that the long line. I just came up with that off the top of my head. But <laughs> Excellent. And um, I'll be sure to get the info from Keith and I'll put it on our Instagram so you guys can check it out. Yes, it's fun. Thank you. Amazing. So you were Tim Minear's assistant and yes. you've recently been promoted to assistant producer. Yes. What have you learned on this journey? How did that journey come about? What have been like the highs and lows? Yeah, well, I mean, so I still work for Tim on an assistant level as well as helping produce the show. That's kind of why the title is kind of smushed together. Um, he was really just amazing and giving me this opportunity to, during COVID, to come to the Lone Star set and kind of be his eyes and ears and on boots on the ground, essentially, for the show. Um, and it, so it kind of started out of a, just a necessity. We just needed somebody when we were doing this gigantic crossover between both 911 and Lone Star um, someone that bridged both shows that could be kind of there helping out our amazing producer, director, and executive producer, Brad Beaker, who, I mean, the stuff this man pulls off on a daily basis is just incredible. But so um, I started out working for Tim about two years ago, and I had actually worked with him before, but in a lesser capacity. So my first gig in Ryan Murphy world was working on the show called Feud. Um, which is the story of Betty Davis and Joan Crawford and old Hollywood. And I was the key set PA on that show. And I got to know a lot of the um, Ryan Murphy gang working with Ryan and Tim directed an episode, also wrote um, the majority of the episodes as well. And after kind of doing that, I went on to work on Versace and I worked on The Politician and a bunch of other different... I'm obsessed with Ratchet, by the way. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you have any stories from that set? Stories from Ratchet. Well, you know, Tim was... I think I did an episode of No One's Okay on Ratchet. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. just breaking it down because I was so obsessed. I binged it all in a weekend. Amazing. It's so... You guys did an incredible job on it. Oh, thank you. I I can't take credit for it. I mean, that is all... You were a part of it. I, I was a very small part of it. Ryan still apart <laughs> that's that's ryan's vision and the incredible people over at ryan murphy television that just make those images and those just incredible stories come to life for me ratchet was something that i was coming in on the tail end of when i started working for tim and um so i mean stories from the set not so much i mean i, I got to go and and be on set a little bit during that i mean i was just starting out working for tim at that point so the sets themselves were incredible works of art. I mean, the production designer is just incredible. Um, the I feel like their visions would be super honed in on like exactly what Ryan Murphy wants. Yeah, Ryan has an incredible crew that surrounds him, both on the writing side, but also there's a lot of members of his crew that have been on shows with him since Glee and Nip Tuck, the camera operators, assistant cameras, DPs, I mean, production designers, their costume designer. I mean, it's a lot of the same people that go from show to show with him. And um, there's a shorthand. There's a, an ability to understand what Ryan wants and what Ryan needs and um, and the various executive producers, et cetera, help kind of facilitate those. And 
yeah, it's just an ability to make incredible shows. He's been doing it for a long time now. And Absolutely. R- Ratchet was a specific vision of his. Um, and Tim and I were just kind of along for the ride in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed this show so much. It's really It was wonderful. I completely binged it. I couldn't get enough of it. And <laughs> Sarah really Paulson is such a powerhouse. I, I have actually a really funny story about Sarah Paulson. I would I love to okay. hear it if you're willing to share yes, it. Yes, I'm totally willing to share it. So um, it was my third day, third day I'm working on Feud. Um, and I was just learning the Fox lot, which is where we shoot a lot of our stuff. And I was coming around a corner going to the hair makeup trailer because uh, they, were, they were doing the tests for Feud at the time. So Susan and, Susan Sarandon was in there and Jessica Lang, and they were trying on the wigs and oh, all that fun stuff. Yeah. And so I, I had no idea what I was doing. And I turned this stage corner and I full on almost run into Sarah Paulson covered head to toe in blood. Yeah. And I, I, I almost <laughs> peed my pants because I was so just like, Oh my she gosh. looked really gnarly. <laughs> it was for Horror Story, which shot next door. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. She's like, no, no, I'm so sorry. You must have been freaked out by that. And as she said, have you, have you seen Ryan around? And I was like, well, I haven't, but he, I think he's going to come by this trailer in a minute. She's like, okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that was that That's was amazing. that was my first interaction with Sarah. Uh, <laughs> that is such a like a classic tale of like being on a lot oh my god i have so many good lot stories my my only well i have a couple but like i i was an intern at sony in the international Uh television department for Mm -hmm. a while Mm -hmm. and when i would like volunteer like excessively volunteer to go get coffee for everyone in the office (laughs) so i could just walk the lot you know of course they were filming, I believe it was Angels and Demons at the time. Okay. And so there, I would constantly be surrounded by, um, like, everyone in the full, like, um, like talk, oh, like people the, with, like, the Vatican oh, robes, the robes, like, the priestly yes. garb. Got it. People from the Vatican. They were dressed up, like... Priests and, priests yeah, and, like, and um, they were faking for the Vatican. So the guards there and all that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah, so yeah. it was like weird to see them all like with cell phones on their brakes and like smoking <laughs> cigarettes. <laughs> like, the amount of like weird just like this is just such a funny image. Like I don't like uh, that I have uh, one of my favorites actually. I'll, I'll tell that quick story. I can also tell a lot of stories if that's the thing you want to I hear about. I fucking love stories. Uh, so I worked on Legion for season two. I worked for the executive producers, um, John Cameron and Lauren Schuler Donner. And I, we had the the privilege to work on this place called The Lot, which is a small little lot in Hollywood. Um, it used to be, I think, Warner back in the day. It's right by the Formosa Cafe, if you know where that is. Yes. Yeah. I've auditioned there. There you go. So it's now it's all Oprah. When, or, is it Oprah or Shonda I Land? feel like it's Oprah. I think it's Oprah buildings yeah. now. Anyway, um, this lot was old. I mean, old. And mm-hmm. we would, on Legion, we shoot really weird stuff. I mean, all the time. The crew, My parents are big fans of Legion. It's uh, it's one of the best shows I've ever worked on. And Hell yeah. one of the like best career experiences I've had was on that show. Anyway, so we shot really weird stuff every every day. We had farm animals. We had uh, robots and with hair. Like, it was just bizarre. Robots with hair. You got to watch the show. I'm just telling you. It's, it's so, like, I've watched a couple episodes, but like not all of them. They're called the Vermilion, and they're these like we hired these amazing 
three women who played the main ones and we had uh, uh at one point had like 30 of them but they're in all black tights and then they have these prosthetic like noses that look like make them look like kind of old men and then they have black mustaches and then they have like a short bob black. they're they're, they're so this, they look gnarly the visual is very arresting because and then like when you see them afterwards you're like that's not the same human that i've been talking to for anyway the vermilion check it out if you google them i'm gonna have to very, watch that when i get a, home it's it, good luck it, <laughs> I will say. Am I going to be spooked? Like not be able to sleep? Not spooked. It's Legion is a show that you have to learn how to watch because it is not like normal television. Noah's talked about this too. Where like he, you know, like in TV, it's like someone drops a pen and there's like close up on the pen on the floor, and you're like, that pen's going to mean something in about twenty minutes or those sorts of things. So he would drop those television tropes all over the show just to screw with the audience. So it'd be like. You'd think, oh my, oh my gosh, this is definitely gonna have some meaning, or like you try to to grasp what's going on, and then it's nothing. So, so people are constantly like, what does it mean? Like, because there's all the symbolism in the show through he a lots of different forces yeah. the audience to give up control. Yeah, well, it's the whole idea is that the story is being told through the lens of a superpowered, mentally ill character. So, which is David Haller, which is who is Legion. So, like, what what does that look like when you can't trust the narrator of the story that you're watching? All right, and, and you're and, fun. and you're, per, <laughs> you're you're perceiving it as he's perceiving it, which may not be reality, right? That's so true. Which is, which is very trippy. So, the, an the, unreliable coming, narrator coming back full circle to the story. So, we were filming this one day, and we <laughs> and the pipes burst on the lot. So there were the cement was buckling there was water flowing everywhere so the fire department came and so we all had to exit the stage and it was like cows people covered in like jelly and like the weirdest thing and i just remember seeing the fighter fire the fighter fires i just remember seeing the firefighters looking around being like what are they doing here like what is this show they were i mean these are hollywood firefighters who've probably seen some weird stuff and mm-hmm. they were like this is what? one of the weird ones <laughs> That's amazing. That's fun. like um, yeah. reminiscent of Big Fat Liar. Have you seen yes. that movie? Yes. Oh my you god. Know, yes. Muniz, oh, where like it's like it's like movie. a celebration of filmmaking. Yeah. I yeah. feel. Yeah. You know, because they get lost on the lot and they yeah. have an adventure. Yeah, I love that shit. Paul Giamatti's best performance, maybe unbelievable <laughs> performance. And honestly, he, I was, I love Paul Giamatti, and I love the stories behind Paul Giamatti. And I just, there's one performance that stands out to me because it was like just a co star. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I think, in My Best Friend's Wedding. He has a scene with Julia Roberts in a hallway. Oh and my it's God, just he totally does. Very brief scene with her. And wow, what a deep he cut. did such a fucking good job. And <laughs> I think that was like the start of like yeah. launching Paul Giamatti's career. Who, who to you was like the first time when you saw an actor on screen and we were like, Wow, that person knows what they're doing because I feel like for me, oh, I I didn't I, I didn't here we go. I didn't realize I, when I was younger like the amount of work it takes to to do what you guys do. I mean, it's just it's so hard. Acting is so hard, and then to see somebody really do it well and to be appreciate that, I feel like is a next level thing. I have. Um... So you met my friend in the other room. Yeah. We were having a conversation about Polly Shore movies recently. <laughs> okay, okay. I worked but I worked on a Polly Shore movie. Really bad. Bad. I walked When off I was the a set. child, I, I auditioned for a Polly Shore movie. Ew. I had to curse a lot in the audition. Oh my god. I didn't get it. But anyway, there was a film that 
Polly Shore did called Jury Duty. Mm-hmm. And in that movie, Stanley Tucci plays. Love Stanley the, Tucci, by the way. I'm. This is a Stanley Tucci moment. Here. Okay. Um, I, I love him. I'm a super fan of Stanley Tucci's. And he's in it. He plays the antagonist, antagonist. And I remember even as a child watching that movie, mm-hmm. I was like, that guy. <laughs> I was obsessed with his performance. Who is that? Who is that? <laughs> um, and to this day, he, he is... If you know when people say like who are the five people that you would yeah, invite to a yeah, dinner yeah, party, yeah. he is on that list. I I really enjoyed working with Stanley. He was really You worked with him. Yeah, yeah. So he was on Feud. He was he was fabulous. He, if you haven't now that's a show if you haven't watched to go home and watch. That's a masterpiece, especially if you like old Hollywood and stuff. Amazing. There's amazing. He was awesome. He's so good on that just in general. Yeah. He's, he's I've a, never seen him do like even less than excellent. He's a professional for sure. He's always excellent. Absolutely a pro. And like people always ask like, well, whose career do you want to emulate? I'm like, that dude. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> yeah. That's the guy. Um, that's so interesting. What, what would you say are some misconceptions that roll around about filmmaking? That roll around about filmmaking. Wow. Okay misconceptions that roll around about filmmaking because i feel like a lot of people glamorize yeah. the industry and that's probably something that you might say but in your experience like what jumps out at you like oh man if people only knew this was part of the process well um hmm. there's a lot i mean i think for me one of the things i wasn't expecting when i got into it was how many people you start out on a show and you will say, oh, I'm just starting out. This is my first show or I'm this, and I'm working towards being a producer or a director or whatever. How many people will come up to you and say, get out. Don't do this. And not in a like mean way, in a like, my life is terrible. Like I, like I, I don't get any sleep. This is a, this is, this industry is really hard on people. Like y- you can do better than this. Um, and I wasn't expecting that. How many people have said that to you, Ballpark? Dozens. I mean, dozens. And I, I I started taking it as honestly a sign of like that I was getting somewhere mm-hmm. because, and, and it was always, always, always people I cared about. It was always people that I liked that I was talking to. And I think for whatever reason they had, they just were like, I don't know, you can do better than this or you, you, you don't belong here in some way, shape or form. And I don't really know if they meant it as a compliment or if it was just like, they were at a point where they were just feeling it at that time for whatever reason. But I just wasn't expecting that. I think that's a misconception is that everybody is living the lives that they always dreamed of when they're on film sets. Um, How do you feel when you hear something like that? For me, it's like, it's a good, it's a good check myself. It's like, okay, am I here? Am I, am I here for the right reasons? Am I, am I happy mm. doing this? And could I be doing something that would make me happier? whether it's personally or otherwise. But at the, at the same time, I often like try to think, okay, this person at telling me this is probably saying more about them than it is actually about me. Like it's where it's more of a signal. It's a signal of where they're at. I and, feel like that goes with like most things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think, I, I think the other thing, <clears throat> the other thing is that, um, when you go to film school, um, 
everything you learn there is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what film school did you go to? So I I went to Syracuse University, went Syracuse, to Newhouse, okay. the nerd house, if you will. And, <laughs> but I actually studied art photography for three and a half years and then just dropped that to right. a minor. And that was like how I started out. Um, because I went to film school, um, but it was more theoretical than yeah. it was practical. Which I only had one class yeah. that like was to make something. Yeah. And that's part of why I really love going and helping out like the kids in that are in Syracuse and Los Angeles, the, that program, because I feel like I just wish that when I was there, there was somebody being like, okay, so first of all, don't buy gas at the first station off the freeway. It's always more expensive. And if you are picking up lunch, go to the back alley and or, and go up to the, the valet that lets you stand there for five minutes and go pick up lunch. Like that sort of thing is so much more helpful than dissecting why Hitchcock decided to put a bird in a shot. Like I... And, and, <laughs> By the way, that's what I was learning. By the way, really important stuff. It is important to know long term. Mm-hmm. But if you want to go to Los Angeles and have a job and Not make great money, to get you started. Yeah, you you. It's like it's like trade school versus academia. Really, yes. it's that whole thing. And filmmaking is a weird profession in that you kind of need both. You need the academia to have a good work ethic, to have a critical thinking, to be efficient, to understand how to organize your time. But you need the trade school to like know what is what. And I think full sale is kind of the the example of like a full on or Emerson, like a full on trade school for the industry. And then you have the acad- academic version, which sounds like you went to. Um, yeah, it was more theoretical. Right, right. Yeah. And so you kind of have to have, I think the best version is somewhere in between, which is what I found what, when I was here working, you know, being at Syracuse, but also being in LA and mm-hmm. getting a chance to like intern all day and then take a class from somebody who was like working in the industry. And I remember going back after my junior year and being like, this, I took this writing class senior year and this professor was talking about like how a writer's room works and like how scripts get developed. And I'm sitting there going, I don't think they do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like that's fascinating so you were like seeing what's current versus like yeah. what they're teaching yeah. oh interesting yeah. um but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not useful i think that's the other thing is that like people are so focused on getting ahead in the film industry sometimes that they don't sit back and appreciate where they are and what they're doing and understanding that it's part of the journey you know like so I think one of the, one of the misconceptions that rings true is I remember when I was my first job I was an office PA in Castle, um, great network television show, and I got in there and I'm type A. I was I got good grades. You know I was always trying to get ahead, trying to get ahead, trying to get ahead, trying to be organized, trying to do my thing. And I would I remember being friends with the showrunner's assistant and the executive producer's assistant, and at the time they were around my age now. And I was like, I don't want to be an assistant when I'm 29, 28, 30. I want, I want to be, I'm going to be in it. I'm going to be doing the big time jobs. I'm going to be like, I'm going to be a producer or whatever I thought it was going to be at that time. And I thought for some reason that that was a bad thing, that they were an assistant at that age, mm-hmm. late 20s, early, early 30s. And that's such a close-minded, like type A stigma that I think people come out with here. They're like, I have to get this by this date. I have to be this by this time. And it's seeing people's stories are so interesting in this business. Like one of our writers on 911 was a 
uh, respiratory therapist for most of her career really? and then just started writing at like after 20 years working in medicine. One of our other writers on that show, she was a 911 operator for 25 years. Amazing. And then started writing and like submitted a script through some people that she knew that were in the industry and somehow made it all the way to us. And was uh, the script based on reality? It was kind of, it was a spec, I think, at the time. And it was like, there were some cases that she had used and also there were like just ideas that she had had. Um, and, she, and she's been a great, like, and she's really been a great asset to both shows, actually. But like having a 911 operator be able to be like, oh yeah, this is what really happens. And then there have been some things where we would use like her, if you watched 911 last season, there was a, takeover of the call center that was and that was based on this fear that she had of like what if someone took over the calls like what if someone came in and like happened forced us to do x y and z and reroute ambulances or like and that was always something she thought about as a as a call and so we kind of morphed it into this big idea so that's amazing uh, yeah so but the point is is that like there's no timeline and it sucks to hear that but and it's good to have goals but understanding that Sometimes it takes being an assistant for eight years Absolutely. in order to find the right opportunity. And and that's just how it goes. And you were an assistant until recently. So, like, is that what you found? It's like, oh, this is not at all what I had envisioned when I was that age looking at this job. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot different. And I think as I have worked for many different people in many different aspects, like, I mean, I've it, it's just changed, just changed over time. Like what my expectation is and then finding the job that I really want and mm-hmm. not just like, I want to be a director. It's like, <laughs> it's like, I want, I want to be a television director. I want to be a producing director. I want to be somebody who uh, facilitates the show for my showrunner. That's what that's, that's the person that I want to be. And having that like very specific vision of where I want to go took a lot of bouncing around. I mean, I, I worked at UTA for two years. I worked for a big movie producer for a while. I worked on set for a director. I worked on set as a PA. I worked in indie movies, Marvel movies, The Mandalorian. I mean, like everything and anything in between. And some of that was like list checking off. Like I wanted to work on these sorts of things. But also it's just observing people and what they do and finding the exact target that you want to try and hit. And then at some point for me in my career, it became less about the the title, you know, the flashy like, uh, title of the f- whatever show I was working on and more about the what I was doing on said show or what I was what would my day-to-day look like mm-hmm. and, and that just took time it just took time and and, and bouncing around a bunch um, people often would look at my resume being like wait a minute you worked in post do you want to do post no wait you were in an agency do you, do you want to do development do what, I, do, do you want? <laughs> what, what do you want <laughs> you were, were kind of touching on this before because you were talking about like some serious changes that should be um, happening in the industry. What do you think those changes are? Well, uh, for me, I fully support all the changes that IATSE is trying to make right now. Um, I'm sure this will probably come out after that. That's figured out on some level. Maybe. I don't know. This will be out within the next week, week and a half. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So uh, within the next week, week and a half, we're going to find out. (laughs) if they're going on strike and if the studios will come around. Um, But your question was, what changes do I think should happen in the industry? Yeah, like what do you think needs to really be addressed? Um, I think for me, one of the bigger issues that is a, um, 
it's a hard, it's so hard because everything in filmmaking is so interconnected. It's like, and, and now getting to produce the show, I really see, I really, <laughs> I said this analogy to Raphael actually the other day. It's like, he was asking me what has been the most interesting part about working on Lone Start. And I was like, at the st- it's it's like, you know, remember when Google Earth first came out? Yes. And you would start at like your your address, right? And you Google your address and you can see yourself. And you're like, oh my God, there's my house. And then you click the zoom out button and mm-hmm. you just go, Ooh, and you just go all the way out and you feel, and you can see the whole world and you're like, oh my gosh, my house is somewhere in that, you know, big blue ball. And it's that feeling of seeing a lot more of the whole picture. Yeah. And working for somebody like Tim, who's just, a fantastic boss because he lets me be a part of every single part of his job. I'm on every phone call. I'm in every meeting. And That's very generous. That's it really amazing. is. It really is. And he treats me like uh, a person and an equal and not as somebody who is, I mean, not an equal necessarily, but, but like I'm, I'm not given any less respect because I am an assistant or he, it is, I'm there because of who I am, not my title. That's wonderful. So, um, I learning and learning, I get, I get to learn so much from that being on conversations with the studio and, and the network and the PAs on set and the actors and the and and just all different aspects and kind of seeing everyone's perspectives and how they see the the picture differently mm-hmm. um, has really given me a chance to see how everything's so interconnected. You know, somebody's saying like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we didn't break get for lunch again today. And it's like, well, you know, if we didn't break for lunch today, if we did break for lunch today, we would have to push tomorrow's call by two hours if we push tomorrow's talk call by two hours we can't do that night scene tomorrow which means we have to shoot on saturday as well and then we're gonna have to do a six day which means we won't have enough, mo- enough money to pay for our guest actress who's coming in and it's like the dominoes are they go so far that sounds very extreme yeah and and so when you see something that's a short-term problem on set it's like it's often the cause of a lot of different things working together so that right. all being said i think the ceiling and the the boundaries need to be set in such a way that is healthy and respectable to these professionals who have families, who are human beings, mm-hmm. who are not designed to work 14 hour days, five days a week for eight months straight. It's just, it's sometimes six day weeks, sometimes seven day weeks, sometimes overnights. I mean, when I explain to my family or my friends like that, I start work at 7 a.m. on Monday and some days and some weeks I'll start work at, at that same week on Friday, We'll start at 4 p.m. and I won't get home until six in the morning. Yeah. And so my my work week goes from Monday at 6.30 when I leave my house to Saturday at 6.30 and, yeah. I'm, and you only get paid for five days. And that's me who, by the way, am lucky enough to get to work at call and leave at a wrap. Right. Not to mention the office staff who have to be in the, in the office every single second of us rolling and also regular office hours. Not to mention the post-producers who have to turn around the show on such tight deadlines because the network's only giving us these air dates and this this many days to shoot the show, this many days to post the show. And if we get behind on screen, I mean, it's just like, I think that there should be a higher just baseline level of protection for the people that are working these crazy hours on set. They love it. Don't get me wrong. You have to love it on some level to be in the craziness. The craziness is super fun. Absolutely. There's something alluring about it for sure. But the wearing a 14 hour workday like a badge of honor, the the culture of work harder, work harder, work harder is it's not sustainable over. Yeah, it's really not. I mean, there's a reason a why period. the life expectancy for 80s is like 65 or something crazy like that. Like really? It, yeah. It's it, there was some stat that came out. I don't think it's actually true. Oh my god. But but everybody 
resonates with them. Go, oh yeah, that makes total sense. Because when you're doing these shows, yes, you have your hours that you bill, but there's so much stuff that goes on outside of that that's not in your billing hours when you're working on, on, on big shows. You just, you have to sacrifice your lunches. You have to sacrifice your call time seven. You end up getting there at 6.30 because you know there's stuff to do and you know that you're gonna have a more successful day if you get there a half hour early or an hour early or whatever it is. And these people wanna do a good job. So I think long story short, support the IOTC with what they're doing, trying to get a 10 hour turnaround minimum I think they should go more personally, but it's it's tough to be put in that place. I, I don't have all the information. I don't know what the right answer is. And I, I respect the people that are trying to make it work on both ends because compromise is never easy for anybody, but that's usually what makes it the best solution. So I don't know. Amazing. Yeah. You mentioned that when you were first diving into the industry mm -hmm. people were saying get out if, yeah you know so if you now that you're in it in it mm. what advice would you give to someone that was new what advice do i give to someone that was new um don't get gas at the first gas station <laughs> <laughs> all the same stuff all the same stuff no i i think uh i would say everybody should pa mm -hmm. and i mean everybody i mean if you want to be a studio executive if you want to be a writer, if you want to be a director, if you want to be an actor, mm -hmm. I think you should you should be a. And I think it's a great place to learn what the base level production looks like, what happens behind the scenes, what happens on the people that are on the bottom of the totem pole. Because when you climb the ladder, I think it's important to have a perspective on what people are going through at the bottom of the ladder, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it makes you a better boss, makes you more considerate. You uh, understand what they're going through so you're not asking things that's that are just ridiculous you know um so i would say that i mean <laughs> i find that also to be kind of a hypocritical piece of advice because it's like get a job like <laughs> that's, that's that's not really good <laughs> advice um i talked about earlier about having kind of a an idol or somebody that you whose career you really admire yes. yours being stanley tucci mine being jj Abrams. <laughs> um Oh, and I think, but like on a deeper level, kind of in this mm -hmm. realm, I would say when you decide to really dive in, when you get your first entry level job, when you get your first big assistant job, you have to know who you are before you walk in the door. And I'm, and the reason I say that is that the industry will take from you everything if you let it. It will, it, you have to know your priorities and what makes you a human being because you can get swallowed by this whole world, the flashiness, the hours, the demands, the people who are not mentally well that are in positions of power that will abuse their employees. Yes. It exists. It's out there. And you is. have to know in yourself what you're okay with, what you're not okay with. You know, if you need to be home for the holidays if you need to be see your parents at least twice a year if you need to um get a massage once a week i mean it, whatever it is that you need to be okay as best as you can you really need to set those boundaries before you start not while you start and, and it's hard and it's kind of an impossible task especially when you're younger to know what who you are. Because you're and, just trying to get there. You're when just you're trying younger. to get there. You're just, you're so focused on the job and you think that the job is the most important thing in the whole entire world. Like I remember 
being at UTA and being in the mailroom and being an assistant, like the agents like walked on water. Like yes. you knew everyone's first and last name. You knew their rep. You knew who they repped. You knew when they walked the door, if they called, it was a big deal. And then like once you're outside of that, you're just like, oh, that's just a human being. Yes. And for some reason, I know their name because I just was drilled into my brain that it was so important for me to know these things. And it's like, yeah, it's important and it's 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 good to do a good job. But there are more important things. And I, I'll do one more quick story about it just to kind of give you good perspective. That was a really formative story for me. I was working on Castle mm-hmm. and there was a big to do about the phones. The phone rang, got to answer it. That's the office PA's job. Always have to answer it because you never know what it's going to be. And somebody was covering for me who was a bit older, who was one of the actor's assistants. And I was going out for a doctor's appointment. Again, setting boundaries, going to doctor's appointments. like They're more important than going to your office PA job. Anyway, and the phone started ringing. This particular assistant had a, had a rep for being a little lazy and just not necessarily being 110% on the job all the time. And so I just wanted to make sure that he was going to cover me and everything was, everything was going to be okay. And the phone started ringing and I'm like halfway out the door. I'm like, hey, are, are you going to answer that? Like, it's just ringing. And he looks at me and he goes, Keith, what happens if I don't pick up that phone? And I'm like, well, Nancy's going to get <laughs> mad. We're going to miss the phone. Like, it, could be, like, it could be the studio saying we're shut down. Like, and he's like, no one's going to die. And I was like, yeah. Can't argue yeah, with that. You're kind of right. <laughs> and it was just this moment of like, we're not saving lives. We're not, this is not the end all be all of the entire world. And people put so much effort and they're so passionate. They get so ramped up. There are more important things like being okay than, than, than making movies. So what are the things that make you okay? What are those things that you prioritize and keep you grounded? Well, um, I'm still figuring them out, but <laughs> in a lot of ways, I think, I think as situations change, you kind of have to adjust them for me. Um, uh, it's, it's being able to be there for my friends. It is being able to switch off my brain completely. I think one of the great things about working on a, uh, as a PA is you get to like, when you're out, you're out, like you're completely out. You're like, there's no, no one calls you. Now my job is kind of 24 seven. Like if somebody needs me, like on the weekends, I have to pick up. That's part of my job. Mm-hmm. Um, but taking that time to be completely off and and letting those emails and those calls go, mm-hmm. um, that helps me be okay. Um, being physically active, I think helps me be okay. Um, over the pandemic, I found myself when we were working remotely, writing and stuff like that, we, we a lot of Zooms, a lot of screen time. Um, so I took up surfing and I started. Excellent. And it, I loved it because I was completely unavailable. I couldn't pick up a phone. I couldn't have technology on me. I just had to be in there with my board, flailing around a bunch and getting wet. Focused on not, <laughs> you know, wiping yeah. out. Yes, exactly. Um, so that helps me be okay. And then... Um, just having my own hobbies. I have a million hobbies. I have my I have this podcast that I like to do for fun. Which you know? is exactly what I was going to ask you about <laughs> next. Tell me about Heard the Nerds. So Heard the Nerds is a podcast that me and my one of my best friends, Devin O'Connell, run. Um, we started it during the pandemic, as many people did start their podcasts. And we talk about everything from nerd culture to interviewing writers. One of the writers on 911 actually came on and did a, 
a really deep dive because he was one of the original creators of Batman Beyond and all the animated series that took place in the DC animation world. So we talked about that. We um, we did a big Star Wars binge where we all watched the Clone Wars and like went through all that and talked about our favorite Star Wars characters and stories and that sort of thing. So we talked with like people that are connected, but also who are just nerds. Mm -hmm. So um, we're going to be recording an episode upcoming for Halloween um, with a very good friend of mine who's obsessed with zombies. And she's she's also like a, a big time influencer and that sort of thing. So it's like a very, it's not something you would expect from her. She also has like a true crime podcast as well. So it's just Lovely. like, I, I love it when you get to meet people that are, you see them as one thing and then you like flip the card over and you're like, oh man, but you're well, really into zombies. <laughs> <laughs> very confusing. That's so amazing. Um, So you are also... Uh, very involved with Angel City Pitbulls. Mm-hmm. Could you tell me a little bit about your work with them? Yeah. So Angel City Pitbulls, for those who don't know, is a pit bull rescue based here in Los Angeles. Um, we have a really amazing community and uh, we save hundreds of dogs every year through our amazing partners at LA Animal Services and some owner surrenders and lots of different uh, ways. But my work, I don't do as much as I did before because of the nature of COVID and the pandemic. But um, for a long time, I've been volunteering there, working their events programs. So I would help organize adoption events and uh, different sort of um, media attention that we would get and that sort of thing. So it's a really, really great organization. Um, we'd have a lot of fun. And this it's funny sometimes when I was, I, that was my first thing that I did when I actually, when I got out here, my mom was like, you have to find a way to volunteer when you come to LA. That's another piece of advice I would say. Anybody moves to LA, and they're trying to get into film and television, like do something that's humbling to all that. And I personally find that volunteering is really, really good for your mind and your soul and just understanding that there is a bigger world out there, especially considering you just occupy this very small space within a very small industry. You 100%. Know? So um, I started with them right after I got out here and then they asked me to be their events coordinator. And um, it's just an amazing place. If you're interested in volunteering, we are always looking for volunteers at our shelter. It's in Mid-City. Um, and we just, our main focus is educating, advocating, and celebrating pit bulls. So, I love pit bulls. Uh, they're just the best. And- Every pit bull I've met has been a treat and a snack. Yeah. <laughs> they also like treats and snacks. They love treats and snacks. Yeah. Give your local pit bull a treat and a snack. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and Do you I, have a dog? I don't have... Well, my, I sort of have dogs by proxy. So my roommate has a dog. Um, and then when I was much more involved with Angel City, we... Uh, I like to say I had like 30 because I would get to, I would have my favorites and, you know, and you have certain dogs that you really love that are part of it. And that, that's how I would get my dog fixed because unfortunately in Los Angeles and a lot of places, um, hard. breed restrictions are a thing. It so sucks. It is. It's, it's, it's a real bummer because I, I personally, I have this like long off dream someday of developing some sort of like owner cert- certification or certificate where the owner and the dog go through a training course that then certifies them to be allowed to be in an apartment complex. Like as opposed to this dog weighs 40 pounds, therefore it should not be allowed in a building. Like that has no indication of what kind of behavior the dog will, will exhibit. 100%. And it's like you, you should know as an owner how to not put your dog in dangerous situations or to like, it ha- that's half your job, right? It's like, 
those these owners that walk really like there are no bad in my opinion there are no bad dogs just bad owners <laughs> honestly i know i like, know humans screw everything up we don't deserve dogs truly yeah truly it's it's it's, it's, it's sad but true and you just feel for like i mean the perfect example is you have these little tiny dogs that are on these big zip leashes that just will go out and bark, 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 go right up into some pit bull's face. And it's like, that's when you hear about them, of course, it's on the news. And it's like, how you have to know to protect your dog like from other dogs and from other owners. Like that's part of the education. So my, my whole thing is like to be able to develop some sort of certification that the landlords would agree on, that HOAs could agree on, and that would prove that the owners are responsible are res- enough are responsible enough to have the dog there not does the dog look cute or not Ugh, i can't <laughs> no absolutely not yeah it's it's a whole thing well i love that you do that and that's amazing definitely check out angel city pitbulls um that's amazing yeah billy eilish just adopted one of our dogs a little while ago that's wonderful yeah, it's, really, it's really fun so if you like billy eilish you should like pitbulls <laughs> <laughs> i love that so much <laughs> So on on the show, I have a new segment okay. that I've incorporated. I'm it's nervous. called, ooh, be nervous. No, <laughs> don't be nervous. It's called Silly Questions to Take Super Seriously. Okay, okay. Keith, how do you qualify as a nerd? Well, I have been to one, two, three, four, five Comic-Cons. Yeah! Um, my decor in my apartment is mostly vintage comic books. Ooh. Um... I play Magic the Gathering quite religiously. What is that? Yeah, see that? For, so. for those not in the know, like me. <laughs> Magic the Gathering is a... He's like, I regret coming on this show if I, you don't know I got a is. thing I'm going to go to. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, no, Magic the Gathering is a uh, trading card game that you play. It's like a strategy-based game. Um, it was really popular <laughs> a while ago, and then it kind of resurfaced. It's actually been one of the most... I think it is the most popular card game now. Like in the the value and amount of money people pay for those cards is just incredible. But it's kind of like in Pokemon cards, like in that trading card game sort of uh, realm. And uh, play online now. It's it's. I, I love chess. I've always been a big like strategy nice. fan. And so I, I was really into it when I was younger. And then my friend Devin, who's the co-host of uh, that podcast came out to LA and he just started getting into magic. And I'm like, oh my God. And I like, you know, pulled out this big bin from when I was like <laughs> in middle school of all these old cards. And I started playing with them. like, oh my gosh, I remember how much fun this was. And I remember going, I remember the first time going to a trading card store and being like, oh my God, I can afford to buy things now. Like, cause when you're younger, it's like buying a, a booster pack was like two weeks worth of allowance. And you're like, right. oh my God, I can't afford this. But <laughs> now I have to like, make sure I, I don't spend too much on cardboard cards with funny spells on them. But, you know. Uh, That's t- if it makes your heart warm, <laughs> do it. It, uh, it does. It does on some level, for sure. But, um, you know, the most important things in life are not things. That's so, true. You know. Um, so that, I would say that qualifies on some level. Again, if you have to sit there and be like, here's why I'm a nerd, blah, 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 then you're not getting, you're not getting the whole culture. You know what I mean? It's like, so true. I think, and the one, I, one of the most beautiful things about Comic-Con to me is that people are there because they love stuff and it's cool to love stuff there. It's cool to love weird, like crazy off-brand niche little things. 
and you go to this booth, you see someone from the other side of the country that comes up and is like, oh my God, you're into this too? <laughs> yes. You, you want to spend $300 on a set of dice? Amazing. Let's talk about how awesome these dice are. And it's like you find these connections and I think through nerd culture and pop culture, like it's become much more uh, accepted and the internet obviously is great about it, but um, I, I love it all. Marvel, Star Wars. You know, amazing. Mm -hmm. I'm a big Harry Potter. Oh, you're a Harry Potter big nerd. Big Harry Potter nerd. Okay, what's your favorite Harry Potter book? Go. Uh, the third and the seventh. Okay. I can't choose. Okay. And if you had to be any animal transforming as an animagus, what would it be? Balls. Okay, uh, that's not no, an animal. No, I know it's not an animal. I was Wrong just answer. filling space. <laughs> um, <laughs> Balls. Balls. Um, if you don't know, by the way, that's a totally that's a that's a deep question. That's it is like, a deep you know, it's question. Kind of your spirit animal my, situation. So my gut said some sort of bird. Okay. I don't know which one though. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Maybe and, like a like a bird water animal, and then, like a half and half. Okay. Maybe a duck a or a swan. A duck some, or a swan. Like something that can fly and swim. <laughs> okay. Okay. I mean, that could be very useful. Yes. To transform into that sort of thing. Yes. Because like if you're a dog, you're just running around. It's like, that's a stray dog. What's that doing? I very much like relate to Like I love dogs. Yeah, and yeah. that was actually the first thing I thought of. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, mm, I don't know. I don't okay. know if that would be the Animagus. And so as far as the movies go, which, which one did you enjoy the most? And which one did you hate the most? Because everyone has a Harry Potter movie they, as a fan, they hated. And my that I've come across. I didn't hate any of okay, them. Okay, that's a very strong word. My You're right. yes. least favorite was probably the fourth. Yeah. Even though I've during quarantine, mm -hmm. I have been re listen like I've been listening to audiobooks oh, just for yeah. comfort. Like yeah. while I do yes. the dishes or laundry or like stuff around the oh, house, okay. I'll like have the audiobooks okay. on okay. my headphones. And I've just like rediscovered the magic of the fourth book. So I don't have an the answer to okay, that question. So, okay, okay. So here's the thing. I think the reason the, the fourth movie is so They condensed it too much. Is because the fourth book is really good. It's so good. And so to hit that mark is there's a this is a it's a big deal. I mean the, the production on that alone was incredible. The underwater stuff and the Triwizard Tournament, like mm -hmm. that's all super cool. But the the base level acting and the base level like plot lines they ju they just they got i think they got caught up in the cool stuff and not enough to like the really the heart of the story right and and are the actors portraying the sentiments of the characters well in such a way that we find to be believable you know which is hard and it's movie making is so hard and, and they're in the middle of doing that's like the fourth one is kind of the tipping point. They did all yes, movies at once. Five and six is all that. That is the crux of the heart. Five and six, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like this weird, awkward teenage phase, and you know they they're they, all bitchy. They all <laughs> they're all mad. They, yep, they're all whining the whole time, <laughs> and they're coming off the third book and the third movie. The third movie, which the third book is universally thought of as probably it's top in, tier. It's fucking if not one, it's, it's one or two for everybody. And so I don't like two as much, honestly. I don't. No, sorry. I, I mean, like, oh, like, like, like ranking. ranking yes. yes, like number th the third book is one or two for most people. Mm -hmm. But and so to to do that movie and do it well was a, a feat in of itself. And then the third book and the fourth book, like lengthwise, is a big jump. Yes. Like to condense. 
I remember when I saw how big that was when I was like, because I got it like right when I came out. I was like, what is this? (laughs) I read those books so fast that Mm -hmm. I like, I wouldn't sleep. I read the just cover to cover. And then I would retain like 60% of it. Like I just wanted to know what happened so bad that I just would like burn through those things. And then I'd go back and reread them. And then the best part was I was like, re-enjoying it because i missed so much stuff in there would you go to the midnight book releases hell yeah me too Barnes and, and i Noble, would read bring the through sleeping the bag. night yes through the night and like especially towards the end it got really frustrating like book six spoiler alert guys if you have oh my god books, if like, you if I'm you sorry. are worrying about getting spoiled on harry potter it's like, way too late up. and come, honestly like get over it come on you're too late sorry <laughs> i i mean like it's too late to up, say it. sorry like, no no um I was, I went to the midnight book release of book mm-hmm, six. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't stop reading it at like from the moment I got the book in my hands uh-huh. through. And some guy, and I know his name, I'm oh, just choosing not to use his name. No. Says, no, send me a text no, in I, all caps. No, Dumbledore I dies. I hate it so much. Um, I just I got goosebumps. Can you see that? I just, just got goosebumps. Oh my God, literally, I, I, your I, hair I, is standing I, I up on it. I can't. Um, the I'm anger so I felt. Listen, folks, friends don't spoil don't things for friends. Don't spoil shit, especially they're, when it's something so magnificent as this series. As, my, any of it. Any don't of it, do it. Any of it. Don't, don't do, do it. it. If you're thinking about it, don't do it. You could walk out of a movie theater, shut your mouth. Shut the fuck up. Shut your mouth. It's only like, what, 10 years later that we're here talking about it? If it's 10 years later, spoil it. Before then, no. First Nine of all, years, don't even think about first it. First of all, first of all, <laughs> sending anything that's spoilerly via text is 10 times worse than doing it in person because everybody's gonna open that text no one's not gonna open the text right so we have a rule in my group chat because we i'm obviously friends with a bunch of nerds we played (laughs) we played D &D, we watch all the television that is your herd of nerds that's the herd yes Heard the nerds is H E A R D. I by know the way, that, but it's a play puns, on it <laughs> because puns. It's very punny. I can't help it. Um, and it's like if you send a spoiler, you're in timeout. Like it's it's like you, you get done you, in the you, chat. You, you, <laughs> seriously, that's happened before. We make the amount of just separate group chats we've made because if it's like only certain people have watched it, different like, levels of shit talking like, in every it's, group. It's like wait, did you? Have, everyone here has watched this, right? Yes. Okay, great. We can talk about it or. The other feature we've discovered is the invisible ink. Have you seen that on iChat? Or like iChat. Oh my God. iMessage? I have seen it. Is it vanish mode? Or that's on yes. Instagram DMs? It's, it, which I still don't understand that's how Insta- that works. Instagram DMs. But with iMessage, you can send a text and then it's like blurry. And you can only see it if you move your finger across Ooh, it. Very shady. And so, and so, it, so it's like... If it's a spoiler, like we'll put that invisible ink on it and just like say this is a spoiler because you you, you know so that way people can or there'll be a <laughs> hit this butt hit a thumbs up this text if you watched and then we wait till everyone hits that thumbs up. Amazing. Like, that's our system. It's worked pretty well so far. <laughs> Very good for you guys. I love that. We, we we are the guys that will go to the movie theater on Thursday night to watch things, Marvel movies, Star Wars movies. I mean, like we're 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 on it. TV shows for Harry Potter. My girlfriends and I, one one in particular, we did the midnight everything for okay. that. Dress up. Yeah, we put lightning bolts. Okay, on okay, foreheads. all right, just the lightning bolts. <laughs> oh, you know, <laughs> come on. I feel like I, I have shirts. I didn't. 
at the time I didn't have the full garb. Listen, yet. I think you could do a really good lavender brown. Like I feel like I feel like why what? not Hermione Granger? You could totally do Hermione too. Why lavender though? Well, I just was thinking of brunettes in the film. Okay. And the first person that came to mind was lavender. Okay. That's not saying that you are. She was blonde in the film. She was. Yes. No. Yes. Maybe dirty blonde, but she was definitely. So I, was Hermione. <laughs> I just really offended Pam. I'm having problems right now. <laughs> We're going to move on from that. You could totally do Hermione too, by the way. Thank you. you, that, could, you could that's do any, all I wanted to hear. Do, How hard was that to you say? Could, you could do any character you wanted. <laughs> Thank you. Hermione, Snape, or McGonagall, I'll take it. Seriously. Thank but, you. But my, and, I, and I was ragging on your costume, and that's just, just, that's just not my vibe. I'm you sorry. Know, that's, I truly am sorry. That's so sweet. You don't have to be. We we can we can give each other shit on this show. It's completely fine. <laughs> I know, but it's like you know. I, I here I am a a connoisseur of nerds, and I'm like shitting on your cosplay from like, you know, like that's just that's not the vibe I Let's want. Let's shit on your cosplay. Tell me about your cosplay. <laughs> my my level of cosplay at Comic Con is so disappointing. Everyone's like, "Do you dress up?" And I'm like. I wear nerdy t-shirts. But <laughs> what what is your go-to fandom that you celebrate through your wardrobe? The go-to wow. Um I would say I have a, a good collection of funny Star Wars t-shirts. Mm. Um if you're familiar familiar with the, the kids book Good Night Moon? Yes. Yeah, so it's like green and, and and red and orange and um so I have a t-shirt that's green and has the the cover it looks like Good Night Moon. Um and it's a picture of a stormtrooper looking out the window and instead of a moon it's the death star and the famous quote from a new hope it says that's no moon on the t-shirt so that's one of my favorites amazing i have a uh <laughs> a, a nike t-shirt that's not a nike t-shirt and it's it's looks like the nike swoop and it says jedi just do it yes. or like don't like you know the yoda quote it's like do not try do or you know what i'm saying um, oh my god i can't the fact that i'm screwing up this quote is embarrassing there is no do or do not there is no trying correct yes that is good just do or do not there is no trying is what's on the t-shirt <laughs> stuff like that where it's like kind of deep cuts but you get it if you if you get it you get it you know what i mean absolutely yeah keith mm. before i get to the final and important question uh yes please where can our listeners follow you Ah uh, yes, uh, you can follow me on uh, my photography on Instagram at Keith Tripler. Um, my podcast is on all platforms. Hell yeah! Spotify, Apple, Anchor, all that fun stuff. You guys heard the nerds? It's great. Check it out. Thank you so much. Um, and yeah, that's that's pretty much all I really want to plug. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So and oh, and watch nine one one and nine one one Star and you Fox. guys watch it. It's great. Please it's do. Good, good, good show. Yes. We work hard. Excellent, Keith. Pam. That was a very dramatic <laughs> echo. <laughs> Are you okay? I am okay. No. Mm-mm. <laughs> Are you better than I okay or one, worse than I okay? I had one question to get right this whole time. <laughs> it was sitting right there, the answer, and I screwed it up. Every A lot of people do, and I have to be like, mm, And I screwed I it up. I'm comfortable enough with you to just be like, and literally we just met folks, but like, folks... But let me tell you, folks, we just met. we just met, but I'm comfortable saying, no, you're wrong. <laughs> you're not OK. Are you better or worse than uh, it's am I better or worse than OK? I'm better than OK. Hell yeah. Yeah, I would say I'm better than OK. Why? What's going on? Um, I just I have a roof over my head. I'm healthy. I'm vaccinated. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, which a lot of people in the world don't have access to right now. Um, I have a great job. I get to work on a hit television show that six million people watch every week. It's wonderful. Um, I got to just sit around and talk about fun stuff with you all afternoon. Yay. And um, you know, I just feel very lucky. I really do. Um, there are a lot of people that don't get to do what they want to do for their career, that don't get to, they don't have as many opportunities. I just, I feel grateful. I, I'm a big practicer of gratitude and just, so I'm definitely better than okay. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty darn good. I'd I say. fucking love hearing <laughs> that. Uh, that's so amazing. Um, I can't tell you how lovely it's been to chat oh, with you today. Oh, now. No, I Come am telling now. you the <laughs> hardened truth. It was so lovely chatting with you. And it's so great to hear, you know, your honest and also passionate opinions about what you do. I My favorite thing is hearing about what people are passionate about. And it just seeps out of your pores. And oh, I'm, thanks. That's I'm so... just so grateful that you joined <laughs> me today. Oh, well, so I was a, it was a pleasure being here. I, I hope I wasn't too <laughs> nervous. or You weren't too anything. Okay, okay. You okay. were... Just, okay, just right. Goldilocks. Just Goldilocks. All right, excellent, excellent, <laughs> excellent. Thank you so much, Keith. Thank you. It's a pleasure. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. This podcast was produced by Jason Crow and me, Pamela Portnoy, with music by Jordan Ross Weinhold. You can follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at No One's Okay. And please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We love kind reviews. No One's Okay is also on YouTube. So if you want to see our faces, please subscribe to our channel. An extra special thank you goes out to Sean Moore, Claire Palmer, Jackson Palmer, Tiffany Hamoff, and Alexa Marie Anderson. This podcast was recorded at Soundworks Studios. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time.